You're listening to True Stories Told Live. Welcome to Speakeasy, where our tellers get on stage with their whole, authentic, beautifully human selves and speak their experience. No notes, just the memory of a life lived. On our stage, you'll hear humor, hope, embarrassment, disappointment, grief, lust, anger, love, remembrance, the whole brilliant and nuanced spectrum of what it is to live as individuals in community with others. Here at Speakeasy, our incredibly gracious audience holds all of it, sighing together, laughing together, crying together, and cheering our hearts out together. There's a symbiotic thing we've got going here between our tellers and our listeners where each person creates that sacred space that just unflinchingly holds each other's stories, where we bear bits of our souls and bear witness. Join us the first Thursday of every month in Columbus, Ohio, at 7 p.m., where we gather at Wild Goose Creative, nestled in amongst the gallery's newest art exhibit. With a simple theme as inspiration, 10 tellers sign up, brave up, Step up in front of a microphone and get honest. What you're about to hear is one of those stories. So uh, I got married pretty young by today's standards. I, uh, I was 22. And, um, you know, I remember the week before my wedding, uh, because my wedding was coming up and, you know, it was an important day. I wanted to look my best. I, um, I went to Great Clips. Um, <laughs> Yeah, at the time I got married, I got my hair cut at uh, Great Clips. Um, and I remember the, the stylist who was cutting my hair asked if I uh, had any plans for the weekend. I told her what I was up to. And she said, hmm, uh, too young. <laughs> she went on to explain to me that I should be enjoying my youth, that it wasn't time to get tied down. And um, I don't know what she thought was going to happen as a result of that conversation. I don't know if she thought I was going to be like, whoa, pause the haircut. I have to make some calls. Because <laughs> uh, the truth is, it, it, it didn't matter what uh, my family or my closest friends or even the stylistic great clips told me. <laughs> I was like a lot of young people. I was impervious to advice. Um, and I understood on like an intellectual level like all of the reasons that people would give why someone should maybe not get married at 22. Like, your brain is still developing. You don't really know who you are or what your path through life is going to be yet. Those all struck me as, as sound reasons that, like, other people <laughs> in their early 20s shouldn't get married. But what I knew that the stylistic Great Clips didn't know was that, like, me and my fiancé were not just, like, two people in their early 20s in love, that we had a special kind of love, a once-in-a-lifetime connection, this kind of, like, cosmic destiny soul bonding that I knew on the same marrow-deep level that people with religious convictions know that God exists, that we were supposed to be together, and that no force in heaven or earth could pull us apart. But you see where this is going. <laughs> The theme for tonight is not, I was right, everything went fine. (laughs) 
I got married at 22. I got divorced at 31. And the thing is, oh, thank you. <laughs> the thing is, though, it's not like the great clips stylist turned out to be right. It's, it's not what happened that I, I came to mourn my lost youth and wish I'd explored more what was out there and, and come to resent the constraints of marriage. That's actually not what happened. I actually liked being married a lot. Um, I, I really valued the, the partnership, the intimacy, pretty much right up until the very end. I, uh, I like the small moments of connection, right? Like those moments where you, you meet your spouse's eyes across a room and exchange this sort of shorthand telepathic message. Like, here's an example. So years into our marriage, we're hanging out with friends and, uh, and drinking, and, and one of our, our close mutual friends says, almost apropos of nothing, um, well, yeah, but how much do we really know about what happened on September 11th? He said, you know, jet fuel can't melt steel beams. And I immediately uh, found my spouse's eyes, and we immediately just had this moment of, hmm. In that moment, it's like your instinct is to look for somebody else in the room, the other person in the room that you know is going to have like the exact same reaction as you, and you're having like this telepathic conversation of like, oh God, one of our closest friends, who we know to be an otherwise sane and reasonable person, might be a 9-11 truther. It, you're married for years, and it, it sort of starts to feel like you can read the other person's mind. I thought I knew my spouse as intimately as any one person can know another. I was wrong. Uh, we had been married several years when... Um, so we had separate bank accounts, and I had like a, a separate savings account very meager, that I was like building up that I hoped would one day be our down payment on a house we would own together. I didn't really look at the statements for this account often because it was my savings account, I never touched it. But one day I saw that like some money had been transferred out of it to somewhere else. And then I looked back and that had happened several times over like a period of many months. And I asked my spouse, I was like, uh, did you maybe like go in and transfer money out and forget to tell me? And she was like, no. I was like, well, are you sure? Because I, I, I didn't do this, so I don't know what happened. I'm freaking out. And she was like, I don't even have the password to that account. How would I have even done that? And I began to immediately feel very silly. Like, what was it that I thought happened that my wife had somehow like, figured out my password and hacked into my account and used it to drain my savings, which was really our savings anyway, and which I would have given to her if she had asked Anyway, like, it began to feel uh, crazy that I even thought that. And so I uh, investigated, and as I got to the bottom of it, it turns out, uh, yeah, that was exactly what happened. Um, when you're married to someone for a long time, it begins to feel like you can read their mind, but you can't, it turns out. If I could have read her mind, I would have known that for the entirety of our 10-year relationship, she had been keeping secret a ever-growing bottomless pit of credit card and personal loan debt that uh, she went to increasingly elaborate lengths to hide even as it spiraled more and more out of control. If I could have read her mind, I would have known that she'd been uh, 
in a romantic relationship with her coworker for months. If I could have read her mind, I would have known that she was very unhappy at the end and deeply resented me in ways that I was completely unaware of. I want to make one thing clear for the record. Steel beams do not literally need to melt for a building to lose its structural integrity and therefore collapse. But you see, if you tell that to a 9-11 truthful, they will say, well, what engineer told you that? Probably somebody on the government's payroll. See, conspiracy theorists prey on the impossibility of certitude. They'll say, how do you know that happened? And you'll say, I saw it happen. And you, they say, well, what if the footage was faked? What if the official reports were doctored? They'll point out other times the government has lied to us before. How do we know they're telling the truth now? It will surprise you not very much to learn that I've been in a lot of therapy the past several years. And one of the most important things that a therapist told me was, the thing you have to realize is that it wasn't just your relationship with your spouse that was upended, it was your relationship with reality. Because, you see, the thing about being really, really massively wrong is that even after you survive the initial heartbreak, the just grief that feels like it's going to turn your body inside out, even after you've picked yourself up from that and moved on, what you're left with is this conspiracy theorist in your head that starts to question everything, to doubt your judgment at every turn, to doubt even your version of what happened and how true it is, because I'm just giving you one version, my version. If she were to get up here, she'd tell you a very different story, a story where the role of victim and villain are reversed. And I know that because that's the story she told very publicly on social media and to people we mutually know until people who were, you know, who cared about both of us, who trusted both of us, were left just kind of looking at this smoldering pile of wreckage, wondering how much do we really know about what happened here? The hard part of being really wrong is learning to trust yourself again. And I don't know that I know the answer to that yet, but I think it has to do with acknowledging that even if you were wrong, it doesn't mean that you're unworthy of faith in yourself. And I think another lesson that I take away is just that I'm a very different person now than I was when I was that 22-year-old who walked down the aisle. And as an older, wiser person, I should probably just start going to like an actual haircut place. <laughs> Thank you.